Welcome to the Lanier Hills Church Sermon Podcast, where faith meets life. I'm Pastor Randall Popham, inviting you to explore wisdom from the Word with us. For more information, visit us online at lanierhills.com. Good morning. All right. Good morning, church. Good to see every one of you. I'm so glad that you're here and that you are worshiping with us today. If you're new, I want to welcome you and uh, introduce myself. I'm Pastor Randall, and I get the privilege of pastoring this amazing church and uh, opening the scripture with you and studying it. We get to celebrate today, baptizing some people at the end of the service. It's going to be a great morning. So thank you for being here and worshiping with us. Listen, if you don't have a Bible, it's okay. You can scan the little QR code that's in front of you on those seats, and it will take you to the scripture today and the sermon notes and um, all the news about things that are happening. So take a moment. And uh, scan that code. So uh, you will be up to where we are today. All right. Well, uh, do you, if you don't have your Bibles, I get to do that already. So I got a question for you. Um, where are my control freaks today? Yeah, raise your hand. Where, if, you, if you're like a control freak, you like to be in control of things, only a few of you. So, all right, the rest of you control freaks are like, he's telling me to raise my hand, so I'm not. <laughs> I'm not going to do that because I'm in control. I think we all like to be, just to be honest, if you like to have control of things. Anybody? Yeah. You like to have control. I think we like to have control of our time. Anybody like to be in control of your time? Yes. You like to be in control of your plans? What's going on? You like to be in control of it. You like to be in control of your money. Yeah. You like to be in control of the situations going around you. See, we all like control. We like it. I like control. I can be a control freak. If I'm driving or riding anywhere in a car, I want to drive. Anybody else? I want to drive. It's, well, partly because I care for my life and I want to drive. <laughs> and, but even though my wife's a great driver, she's... I, I care about my life. I want to drive. Ever since I was a kid, if there's a group and we're trying to decide something, I'm like, here's what we're going to do. We're going to do this and this and just being a leader. I want to be lead. I, I like, like controlling the situation, but here's the deal. Life has a funny way of showing you who's really in control. Anybody agree with that? Maybe you're a young person here. You got a lot of people in the balcony, um, young people, and you got plans. You're figuring it out. You're like, all right, I'm going to go to this school. I'm going to do this thing. And you apply to that college, and maybe you don't get in. Or maybe you, you, know, the, you thought, I'm going to go do this degree, and you get there, and you realize you're terrible at math, and you're not going to be a good engineer. <laughs> or, you know, whatever. You figure it out. You're like, it's, things just don't happen the way you thought they were going to happen. Or life throws you a curveball. Or you're a young person and you think, all right, I'm going to get married to this person. We'll be married by this time. We're going to have kids here, whatever. And you're in a relationship with somebody and it just doesn't work out. And you're like, well, wait a minute. I thought I was in, this is my plan. It doesn't work out. Life has a funny way of showing you who's in control. Or maybe you're not a young person. You're, you know, midlife. You got your career planned out, your life planned out. You got all the things going just right. You figured out what time, how much money you're going to have when, the house you're going to live in. You got all these things, and you're going to work one day, and you show up like a friend of mine did recently, and the boss calls him in and says, hey, man, you're doing a great job, but we don't need you anymore. Right? It happens. And you're like, what? That's not part of the plan. 
Or you come home from day, one day from work and, you know, you walk in and you think life's good and your spouse says, let's sit down and talk. I want a divorce. Talked with somebody last week. That happened too. Wasn't planning for that, but it happens. Or you get older in life and you say, all right, here's my plan. I'm going to retire at this age and we're going to get to do all these fun things and go do trips and hang out and all that. And you retire and then you're thinking, here we go. And your body says, we aren't going. <laughs> you're sick. <laughs> you got this and you can't do the things that you thought you were going to do. That happens. Or you're like, oh, we're going to live off this retirement and retirement and the economy goes crazy. And you're like, I can't live off of that. That happens. Life has a funny way of showing us who is in control. But I want us to understand something today, and this is important. We're going to take a deep dive into this in just a minute. <laughs> Write this down. Remember this. The key to a better life isn't more control, but greater surrender. Get that. Let's leave it up there. Let's look at it again. The key to a better life isn't more control, but greater surrender. Control is an illusion. You're never in control. And we've realized that and get to the place of surrender. It's amazing the rewards of that. So we're going to read today in John chapter 7, and we're going to take a look at an event in Jesus' life, and it's and it's going to show us what it looks like to be in sync with God's control and His timeline and His plans for our life so that we can have that better life, more fruitful life, more peaceful, anxious, less life because we have come to a place of surrender. So we're going to take a deep dive into this and see what Jesus did. But before we do that, let's pray. And I want you to ask God, will you reveal to me what I need to hear and see and know and do all the things this morning? So will you pray with me? Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for the opportunity to open your word this morning, to dig into it, because it's not just words on a page, it's words are life. It's words are bread to a thirsty or to a hungry soul. It is, it is water to a thirsty soul. It is like a scalpel that does the work of a doctor. Lord, it, it is a hammer that breaks hard hearts. It is a salve for wounded hearts. It is a light for those who are in darkness. So would you show us this morning from your word what we need to see? Help us to feel what we need to feel in our hearts. Help us to hear what we need to hear and understand what we need to understand. We submit ourselves to you. Lord, draw us to you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So John 7, let me explain to you what's going on. We've We've been walking through the book of John, taking section by section, story by story, building up to this whole idea of, of, of who Jesus is, coming and seeing who Jesus is. Who is this man, Jesus? What's he like? How does he act? How does he interact with the Father? How does he interact with people? What's his purpose? And how does he think? And his character. So we're taking this idea of coming and seeing, digging into the Scripture. And we saw in the last few weeks in John 6, which is a long chapter, a lot happens. We saw where Jesus feeds 5,000 men and then some another five or 10,000 men or women and children with just a, a few fish and a few bread, pieces of bread. And he feeds them. So all these people get fed and they are, so they come seeking after Jesus, wanting more. They're thinking, they're thinking, we want some more of that good bread. So they go after him. But then 
After they finally, Jesus walks on water. We saw that story with the disciples. And then he gets to the other side of the lake. And all these people come looking for him. And they're looking for bread. And what does Jesus say? He says, I am the bread and you have to eat my flesh. And they all freak out. Like, what? Eat your flesh? So now this divisiveness happens. They're like, here's the guy who feeds people and does miracles, but he wants us to to eat his flesh? What is going on? And he's really pointing them to the idea that if you want to follow me, you've got to consume me spiritually. So now this device, now he's gotten really popular. Really popular. So popular that people are following huge crowds and then the Jewish leaders are thinking, we don't like this guy. He's telling people to eat his flesh and, and he's healing people on the holy days. He shouldn't be doing that. So they're out to get him. Now we pick up in John chapter 7, and I want you to see what's going on. It says this, after this, so after he told them about eating his flesh, Jesus went around in Galilee. He did not want to go about in Judea because the Jewish leaders there were looking for a way to kill him. Even Jesus didn't dumb, like, just dumbly walk into trouble. <laughs> but when the Jewish festival of tabernacles was near... Jesus' brothers said to him, now this is, an, imagine it in a sarcastic tone because this is the way they're saying it. Leave Galilee. They're like, get out of your hometown here. Go to Judea so that your disciples there may see the works you do. No one who wants to become a public figure acts in secret. Since you are doing these things, show yourself to the world. And look what it says, for even his own brothers did not believe him. So this is his own family, his brothers, like James, who later writes one of the books of the New Testament, who became a believer after. They don't believe in him. Can you imagine brothers saying this to each other? <laughs> like, who are you? You think you're so famous and popular, and you're doing all, you got this big crowd. If you're so popular, why don't you go and into town? So go into, go into Judea where the feast is happening. Now, listen, this is a big, huge feast. It's a big holiday in the Jewish custom. And so they would get together, and they would celebrate God's provision for the 40 days that, or 40 years that they were in the desert. And when they would come into town, they would grab branches, palm branches, and, and limbs, and a lot of greenery, and they would make like temporary huts all through the streets, and everyone would like camp out in the streets for the week. So they would be camp doing their thing, and you must imagine all the food being cooked, and the scents of all the things, and the olive oil, and it's a big festival. They're all there. Everyone went to their town, went to there to do it. And so his brothers are like, if you're so famous and so popular, why don't you go down there and show it to all those people? Then you'll be really famous. If it was today, they'd say, why don't you go on TikTok and make a video? <laughs> why don't you go on Instagram? And so the whole world can say, maybe you'll get Insta-famous or whatever. You know, so they're, they're saying all these things just to kind of mock him. And look what Jesus says. And Jesus told him, look at these words, my time is not yet here. For you, any time will do. He's saying, I'm on a different timeline than you. You just go and do your own thing, but not me. The world cannot hate you, but it hates me because it, I testify that it works, its works are evil. You go to the festival. I'm not going up to this festival because my time has not yet fully come. After he said this, he stayed in Galilee. However, after his brothers had left for the festival, he went also, but not publicly, but in secret. Now at the festival, the Jewish leaders were watching for Jesus and asking, where is he? 
But among the crowds, there was widespread whispering about him. Some said, he's a good man. Others replied, no, he deceives people. But no one would say anything public, publicly about him for fear of the leaders. So they're, they're pretty worried. These leaders are out to get him. Some people believe he's, he is the bread of life. Others believe he's a, a deceiver. And, but no one would say anything loud out of fear, out loud because of fear. But not until halfway through the festival did Jesus go up to the temple courts and begin to teach. The Jews were there were amazed and asked, how did this man get such learning without having been taught? So here's what happens. Jesus decides to go later. He goes in secret. About halfway through the festival, he decides to go in the most important place of the whole festival. He goes into the temple, the place where the sacrifices are made, where all the teachers are and all of the religious leaders, and he stands up and he starts to teach. And they go, they're astonished. This guy hasn't been to seminary. This guy hasn't been to college. This guy hasn't had all the training. He doesn't, where's the rabbi that he's following? But they were astonished at his authority and the way he taught. And look how Jesus answered. My teaching is not my own. Where does it come from? It comes from the one who sent me. Now, we're not going to read the rest, but I'll tell you what happens. He confronts them and, and calls out the way they interpret the Torah and the laws. Instead of caring for people, they're, they're more concerned with their religious laws. And he calls them out for, for their hypocrisy. So he does that. And, and then we see, you know, what the result of that. But I want to focus on today is I was going to originally focus on what he said and how he stood up and confronted those leaders and said all these things in the face of fear when everyone was out to get him and no one would trust him and even his brothers were accusing him of being a hypocrite. I, wanted, I was going to talk about how he stood up and how we need to do that, but as I prayed about it, I changed what I did, wanted to talk about. Because after having conversations with you and even in my own life and seeing, I said, you know what I want to talk about today? I want to talk about how Jesus was in line with the Father's timing in his life. This whole idea of how Jesus was surrendered to the Father. Because here's what we see. We have different examples. His brothers say, why don't you go down to the temple and get famous? Now listen, if Jesus was all about getting famous, that's what he would have done. He would have made the videos. He would have done the thing, right? He would have gone there on down there to do, but, but he wasn't on his own timeline. He had a different agenda, and he was on God's plan. He was tuned into what God was. So he said this, my time has not yet come. Then they're like, well, you need to go. And then he says, it has not fully come. So he says, you guys go. So the brothers go and they go down to the festival. But then something happened. Just imagine with me, something happened. And he feels the, God, the father saying, now is the time to move. So he goes down to the temple and he's there in secret. I don't know how he hid in secret for that long. Did he like wear something down over his head, you know, walking through, just watching what everybody's doing. And then he says, halfway through the festival, he goes up into the temple and starts to preach. So the whole time, he's, he's sensitive. He's synced into what the Father is leading him to do. He's not in control, right? Who's in control? The Father. He realizes that, so he says, all right, I'm going to go. And then when he gets up to speak, he says, these aren't my words. They're the Father's words. So even his words... And what he said were in tune with what God had planned for his life. And so as I looked at that, I thought, man, that's how we should be, isn't it? 
See, for Jesus, for Jesus, the Father's timeline was his lifeline. Get this. Look at it. The, for Jesus, the Father's timeline was his lifeline. Everything. Look at this next phrase here. I put it up on the screen for you. For every significant event in his life, every miracle, and even his very words were in line with the Father's divine timing. This is what it looks like to be in tune with the Father, to be in line with him so that my schedule, my life, my words are in tune with God's timing and life and line. Even his words in John 1, 16, he says, my teaching is not my own. It comes from the one who sent me. He understood that his whole life was in God's hands. So what does that mean for us today, church? What does that mean for us? Here's what it means. It's this idea that as believers of Jesus Christ, part of the Christian journey is aligning yourself with God's timeline. I think we have that. Part of the Christian journey is aligning yourself with his timeline. When Jesus said, come take up your cross and follow him, he wasn't saying, all right, come follow me, but keep your schedule, keep your timeline, keep what you want to do. It's about laying that all down and saying, God, what is your will for me? See, Jesus was on a different timeline, not his brothers, not the world's, but with the fathers. And he had this one thing in mind. He was living for the kingdom of God. Often he said, he talked about the kingdom. And see, God has this plan. And here's what we need to recognize, church, that God is up to something significant in the world. The kingdom of God coming. It says it came with Jesus. Jesus came and he says the kingdom is here, but it is here and it is also still coming. And what that means is that God wants this, has this desire that every, every person become a believer in Jesus Christ, that every nation hear about Jesus, that every person surrender the life to him and live with, according to him, live with righteousness and just, treat people well, love people well. That's God's desire. And, the, and to bring glory to him. And Jesus was in tune with that. And to be a follower, listen, to be a follower in Jesus Christ is not just, hey, I believe Jesus, I'm not going to hell now, I'm going to do my thing. To be a follower of Jesus is to come to this place where you do this, where you align yourself with God's timeline and it entails a willingness to surrender. Let's pull this up on the screen. Align yourself with God's timeline entails a willingness to surrender. Look, your dreams your schedule, or your preference in favor of what God is orchestrating. Think about this. Let's, let's talk about that a second. So sometimes God calls us to surrender our dreams. Everybody here has got a dream for you. Maybe you're the young person with a dream. Maybe you're middle-aged or senior adult. You've got a dream. And you want things to happen and you've got it all planned out. But to follow Jesus and to be in tune with the Father is to say, Lord, I'm on your schedule. Whatever your schedule has for me, that's how I want, that's what I want. You, you have your dreams, you have your schedule, you have your preferences of the way you want your life to go and the way you want things to happen in your timeline. But to be a follower of Jesus is to be on the Father's timeline and say, God, what is your will for me? And that's where we all need to be and need to get. So what does that look like? What does it look like to align your life with God's timeline? Well, it could look like this. It could mean this, pausing and praying 
Pausing before you make big decisions and pray and seeking God, God, God's guidance. See, number one is this. Let's pull it up. Pausing before making big decisions to, to like pray and say, God, what's your direction in my life in this situ- situation? Now, I'll be honest with you. I wish I would did that every single time. I wish I would pause before, before every big decision, but I'm like you. A lot of times I'm like, got a big decision. This looks like the obvious answer. I'm going. Anybody else? You just kind of do it. But what if you got to the place where every situation you're like, God, what's your will for this? How do you want me to live? How should, what should I do in this situation? See, that's how Jesus lived. Even when his brother said go, it seems obvious you should go down to the tabernacle. What did Jesus say? My time's not right. The timing that God has for me is not right. So, for example, maybe you get, you get your life, you get your career, you get your things going on, and life's going pretty good, and then you get a phone call. Somebody wants you to come work. They want you to quit your work and go work somewhere else. More money, bigger opportunity, climb the ladder, do the thing. Uh, and you might be thinking, well, I'm taking this. But what if you actually stopped and said, Lord, okay, it looks good, but what's your plan for me? How's this going to impact my family and the people around me? How's it going to impact my spiritual life? How is this going to impact the kingdom of God? What do you want me to do in this? Years ago, 18 years ago, 18, 19 years ago, I'd finished seminary, had a degree in church planting, church leadership, and thought I was ready to go plant some churches. My wife and I were going to go. We thought we, thought we were going to go to Boston and plant a church. God said, nope. We thought we were going to go to Woodstock and plant a church. God said, no. We even had a team ready to go. We had already told the church we were working at, we we're going to, it's time for us to go. We're going to be leaving on this date. That t- date came and we didn't go. God said, no, it's not time to go. So then I said, well, maybe I'm supposed to just pastor a church. So I sent out resumes to different churches. I had different churches in Alabama and South Carolina and different places coming to uh, hear me preach and at the church that I was working as an associate pastor at in North Carolina. And they came and heard me preach. And, and we had long conversations, but each one just kind of fell through. And I finally got to the place where I was like, God, I was frustrated. You ever been that? You want something to happen, church? You want something to happen? You want it now? You want it this way? And it doesn't happen, and you can get, get frustrated. And that's exactly what I did. I was frustrated. And you get, frustration happens when you're trying to control something you have no control over. You just stay frustrated in the sense, why isn't it happening? But you have no control over it. So I was frustrated. Finally got to the place where I was just like, Dana and I were like, we're just in God's mercy at his hands. Whatever he wants for us, we surrender. So then my pastor came in one day at the church I was working at, and he said, hey, I heard about this church in Gainesville, Georgia called Lanier Hills Church. Sounds like a pretty cool church. You're looking for a pastor. Why don't you send your resume? So I sent the resume. Didn't tell Dana. Just sent the resume. And I was off doing something one day and um, out of town, and, she, and the letter comes in the mail, and it's, she opens it up, and it says, she calls me. She says, hey, what is this? There's this church in Gainesville, Georgia. This is, they have narrowed down their resumes from 100 people to three, and you're one of the three, and they want to come hear you preach. And she said, were you going to tell me about this? <laughs> I said, well, I'm just leaving it to God, whatever. And I said, well, I didn't think you would matter because it's an hour from your parents. She's like, oh, I'm in. <laughs> they come 18 years ago on Father's Day, and I get to preach at the church. And after the service, they come and they say, 
we've made our decision and we're not going to hear the other two. We want you to come be our pastor. And I remember coming down here and visiting this church, seeing the great people, seeing people like David and Donna Hall have been there his whole time and Suzanne over there and Miss Judy and so many awesome people. And God led me here 18 years ago. And one of our prayers was that we would be in a place for a very, very long time. We didn't want to be hopping around from church to church to church. We wanted to invest our life in a community for our life. Raise our kids, impact a community, not just pastor a church, but pastor an entire community. And this week we celebrate 18 years of being here. And I'm just blessed. <clears throat> if I would have followed and done what I wanted to do just to get to the next thing, I might have ended up passing in Selma, Alabama or Mobile, Alabama. Who wants to live in Alabama, right? Some of you Alabama fans. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you know who I'm talking about. <laughs> but I get to live here in this amazing community in Gainesville and Forsyth and Hall and, and, you know, in this beautiful place with great people because why? We threw up our hands and said, God, I surrender. And he opened the doors. Maybe you need to pause and trust him. Second thing, it may look like this, confidently waiting when God says not yet. Some of you are in the not yet season. When's God going to send me a girlfriend? God says, when you grow up, <laughs> it's going to send me a boyfriend, right? When you stop, no, I'm not going to go there. Anyway, just uh, <laughs> when am I going to get married? You know, just what, you start asking, when is that career going to come? When's that opportunity going to come? When is my healing going to happen? Some of you are right there. You're praying for healing from cancer. You're praying. I know right now, look around here. And some of you, I was talking to somebody before the service, they're waiting this week to get you know, results from uh, the doctor. And you're praying, you're praying, you're praying. When's my healing coming? God's like, not yet. But what if in the not yet, you could get to the place where you're saying, all right, God, I'm confidently waiting, knowing you've got me right where you want me. And in this season, I'm going to ask for your kingdom to come through this, your will to come through this as you confidently wait. Or maybe the third thing, it looks like this, to wait, to align yourself with God is to this, to resist the impulse of immediate gratification. And instead, nurture patience and wisdom. For example, you want to get married. Maybe you're in a relationship with somebody and you're so eager to get married that you're not even stopping to ask, is this the person God wants me to be married to? You're lonely and everyone, the first crisis in the Bible was Adam was alone. Loneliness is real. And sometimes we'll shortcut God's plan just to fill in the loneliness to get that immediate gratification. At that church that I worked at before I came here one day, I was speaking to a bunch of college students, and this one girl came up after, and she said, thank you for sharing what you shared. See, I had just shared how Dana and I met each other, and then both of us, we were seeking the Lord, and that was the most important thing in our life when we got together. And I just knew that she was the right person. And one way you know, and young people, one way you know, 
that the person that God wants for you in your life is this, that when they're in their life, you seek God more. They draw you closer to him. He's not going to put anybody in your life to be married to that's drawing you away from him. And Dana and I were drawing, you know, pursuing God together. And the more we pursued each other, the closer we got to God, the more we got closer to God, the closer we got. And I shared that. And the girl comes up after, a few weeks later. That was after that, that thing. She said, thank you for sharing that. I was in a relationship with a guy and I knew it wasn't right. And we were headed towards marriage. And I cut it off. Thank you for challenging me in that. The cool thing is, two years later, I got to do her wedding to the man God had for her. When you trust God and you resist the impulse for immediate gratification, saying, God, I'm on your timeline, not mine, man, it's rewarding. See, when you align with God's timeline, here's what I do. It replaces anxiety with peace. When you're anxious because you're like, you think you got control. You're trying to control something you have no grip on. But when you say, God, I'll let go, I give it to you, you can say, my, hands, my life's in your hands, and I'm at peace with that. Now, it doesn't mean you still don't wake up in the middle of the night freaking out, and you have to remind yourself, God, you got this. It replaces emptiness with purpose. When you're just doing your thing on your timeline, it might be, hey, I'm going to get rich, or I'm going to get married, I'm going to get this, or whatever, and you're doing your thing. But when you, on God's timeline, you understand your life isn't about just those things. It's about eternal things. You're about the kingdom of God coming and the work that he wants to do. And you see your nine to five, not just as a job, but as a mission field. And you say, I've got purpose. No matter where I am, what I'm doing, God has a purpose. But it also replaces uncertainty with assurance. The Bible tells us this. In one of my favorite scriptures, God is working all things for the good of those who love him and what? Who are called according to his purpose. See, when you're aligned with his purpose in your life, you can be sure that even the hard things are going to work for good somehow. They're going to work for the kingdom somehow. They're going to some benefit, and it may not even be on this earth, but in eternity is going to work for good. So you have assurance. So here's what I want to do. I want to bring this down to just a real practical, practical thing for you. Because, all right, we took a deep dive, saw what Jesus did. Here's what it looks like. And you're like, okay, yeah, but how do I do that? And I always like to ask myself, what does that look like on Monday? When you get up and your busy schedule happens and life happens. So here's a few things you can practically do. First thing, start your day by, by literally handing it over to God, by saying, all right, God, before your feet hit the floor, say, God, here it is. Your kingdom come, your will be done in my life today. How did Jesus teach us to pray? He said, hey, when you pray, here, do it this way. Pray this, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it's done in heaven. I like to make it more personal. Lord, here's my, here, your kingdom come. I want to be about your purpose. Let your will be done, whatever that looks like today, in my life. When you start off that way daily, you're submitting to him saying, God, you have this thing. It's my, your life. I never had control anyway, and I'm just going to rest in that, have assurance in that. 
And it's amazing how when you start your day that way, when things happen, like you get stuck in traffic for three hours and no one's happy. But if you can get to the place you're like, Lord, I prayed this morning. Your, your will be done in my life. This must be part of your will. <laughs> That's a tough one. Things don't go. The phone call comes in and, and the, the deal doesn't go through. Getting to the place of saying, I prayed this morning. Your will be done. I'm trusting you in that. When the phone call comes back and it is a tumor, Lord, I'm trusting you in this because I prayed today. Your will be done. Now, second thing after you've prayed that here's a challenge for you and I've done this in my own life set an alarm on your phone for the same time every day to pause and pray and here's what you pray how can I align myself with your timeline and plan right now here's why I say that see I have a, a timeline I have an alarm set for three o'clock and here's why because enough junk has been able to happen throughout the day that by 3 o'clock, I'm usually pretty stressed. Anybody else feeling that? Things haven't happened, life's happened, whatever. The kids have drove you crazy at home, whatever. And you get to that place. And, and then all of a sudden, the alarm goes off, and you remember, all right, God, how do I realign myself? I started the morning this way. How do I realign myself right now? This phone call I'm about to make, let your will be done in that. This deal, this tension I'm feeling with this staff member or coworker. Align yourself, align myself. I want to be on your will. So set an alarm. Remind you every day. It would be cool if every day at 3 o'clock, everybody in here, your alarm go off and everybody tunes back into what God's doing in their life. And finally, before making any big decisions, fast for a day or longer. Give up something so that you can tune into what God's doing to find something. Years ago, I felt like God was leading me to write a book. And I'm like, that's a big commitment. I don't know if I want to do that. I don't, but I wouldn't let it go. And so I said, I'm going to fast. So I, pra- I said, I'm going to fast for a whole week. Started on Monday. On Monday, a friend calls me and said, hey, let's go to lunch this week. And uh, so I'm fasting, but I was doing like a juice diet. And I said, well, I guess I'll just eat some fish broth or something. Whatever. I don't know what we're going to do, but I'll go and meet you at lunch. And so we go to lunch on Wednesday. We sit down and start having the conversation. And he says, the reason I got together with you today is because God prompted on my heart to tell you, you need to write a book and I'm going to pay for the expenses of it. On Monday, I said, Lord, I'm going to fast and I'm going to pray. Show me if I need to do this and invest my time in this. And so three days later, how much more obvious could it get? But what would have I had missed if I hadn't said, God, I'm, not, I'm just going to keep wondering and Maybe even do my thing, but I got assurance because I took the time to pray and fast. So here's what you can do. You can go through life with anxiety, <laughs> a lack of assurance, you can go have uncertainty, a lack of peace, trying to control everything, or you can surrender because better life is not about more control it's about more surrender and you can surrender you and say lord i'm in tune with you i want your kingdom to come and do that daily and throughout the day and you'll find 
that walking with the Lord is a lot better than doing it yourself. The greatest example we ever had, we have Jesus here, but I think the greatest example of getting to this place and saying, Lord, I want your will is when Jesus was at the Garden of Gethsemane. He knows what's about to happen. He's hours from Judas and others coming and betray him. And he's in the, in the garden. He left the disciples. He walks a little further and he goes and he sits down. And he starts praying. He's sweating blood because he's so intense in this prayer. And he says, Lord, and how many of you have prayed this before? Lord, is there any other way than this way? Is there another way that this can happen? Is there another way? I don't, I don't really want to drink from this cup. And then he says, but nevertheless, not my will be done, but yours. And he goes to the cross. And on that cross, though, he purchases us. He gives his life, his blood shed for the forgiveness of our sins. Why? Because he loved us. Because he wants us to have relationship with him. Because he wants us the kingdom to come in us and through us. So then what should we do? We should church our response should be, Lord, your kingdom come, your will be done in me. I want to align my life with you and seek your will in all my life. That's what it looks like to follow Jesus. Maybe you need to do that today. Surrender something. Some of you are right now, you've got something you're waiting on, something you're anxious about, you're stressed about. And today, God's saying, hey, will you come give that thing to me? Will you give it to me tomorrow? Will you give it to me at three o'clock tomorrow? <laughs> will you continue to give it to me? And seek my will. Would you pray with me? Lord, we thank you for speaking this morning. Thank you for the reminder that you're in control. And the best thing we can do is surrender our life to your plan. Trust your plan. Live in the assurance that you're working all things for good. So Lord, we come this morning and we say thank you. Thank you for going to the cross, Jesus, for taking that cup yourself, living that out and dying to yourself and literally dying for us. Lord, help us to live for you day by day, taking up our cross and following you. If you're a follower of Jesus right now, you've surrendered your life to him. I would encourage you, whatever you're holding on to, whatever you're anxious about, whatever you're trying to control, trying to control fix somebody fixing somebody you're trying to control your the healing or whatever it is would you bring it to God right now and begin to pray this father your kingdom come in this situation your will will be done in this situation and surrender it to him But maybe you're not a follower of Jesus. You've just kind of hear, you're heard about, it, you're entertaining this thought. I want you to understand something. God has a timeline, and today's part of that timeline, and today's your day to step into the timeline God has for your life by giving your life to Jesus Christ. By simply saying, I believe Jesus came and he died for me, and I surrender my life to him. Now I want to follow him. Maybe you need to do that right now. Surrendering your, surrendering your will your life to following Jesus who gave his life for you.
Father, we surrender and submit and sink our lives, lives up with you. Help us to follow the example of Jesus, whose lifeline was your timeline. We love you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.